Um, well, guys, if you have your Bibles, I'm in Ephesians 2. I want you to know I'm not being off this morning because I'm mad at you. I love you. Uh, I have some kind of cold that hit late, late Wednesday night and just kicked my tail all weekend. has settled in the chest, which is awesome. That's where all my colds end up. And uh, so I'm, I'm uh, sucking on a cough drop, and which you shouldn't do when you're speaking in public. And uh, I'm going to try to teach the Word of God. So we'll see how all that works out this morning. Um, forgive me in advance if the notes look a little janky. I might have been high on Tylenol, cold, and flu. Okay, so here we go. Uh, I'm, we're we're going to do something nuts. Um, we're going to read the whole chapter of Ephesians 2. Uh, it, it, it's, one of, it's one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible. And this morning, we're just going to dissect it. Uh, we're just going to let the Word of God kind of speak for itself in this But God series. And you see if you can pick up on that language we've been studying, the But God moment. Here we have it, uh, Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes the church of Ephesus, and he reminds them of this. He says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. We were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you're saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So then, remember <clears throat> that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those who, who called, uh, that were called the circumcision, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time, you were without Christ, excluded from citizenship of Israel, foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and to those of you who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him the whole building is being put together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together, for God's dwelling in the Spirit. This is the Word of God. Um, Alright. So I don't know if you caught in all of that, a whole chapter, our but God moment, but it was actually split up 
between about five verses. And so I'll put them on the screen so I can point it out to you because it's easy to read Ephesians 2 and miss your but God moment. But, but here it is, starting in verse 1. Uh, it says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Right? And it goes on, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the rule of the power of the air, that spirit's now in working in the disobedient. But, but it begins as, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. And then we get to verse 4 and we find it. Our but God moment. And it too, there's, there's separation there. It says, but God, uh, and now there's a comma, who's rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ. Alright? So, so here's the, the statement that we get. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God made us alive in Christ. That's about God moment. So just two main points this morning, straight from Scripture. I don't have anything extra to give you, to be honest. Uh, and then what we'll kind of talk about. Here's the first thing, though. It, it's this. We were all dead in sin. We were all dead in sin. These are, these are, this is my fourth one, so if I pass out, y'all know. It was from cough drops. I think you're supposed to have four in a day. So here we go. Um, <clears throat> we were all dead in sin. So let's just kind of start, um, before I go to that next slide, guys, I want to talk about who. Right? There are questions, when you read the Bible, you should ask questions. So Paul says, we, we were all, you know, Paul says, uh, you were dead in your treasure. Well, who? who? If I say we're all dead, who, who's the you, right? So Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, primarily made up of Gentiles, right? He is the apostle to the Gentiles, and he's reminding them, at one time you were dead in sins. So you go, okay, all the Gentiles were dead in their sins. But, but then Paul goes, and we also, in verse 3, used to live among them, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. So he says, we too were also dead in sin. So what I just start, this is a, this is a worldwide problem. We talked about this last week, uh, Romans 3, 23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So, so this is an us problem, an all of us problem. We were all dead in our sins, or are dead in our sins, depending on what you do with the second point of the sermon, okay? All right? Don't say that to hurt your feelings, but that is the biblical truth. So then another question arises, because that's, that's language we hear in the Bible a lot. Uh, sin equals death, right? Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. So sin and death are always, but, but what does it mean to be dead in sin? What, what exactly does that mean? And that's where Paul is so helpful to us here in Ephesians 2 because he outlines it for us. If you've ever wondered, am I a child of God? Have I been born again? Read Ephesians 2 and it will literally outline the behaviors of someone that is dead in sin and someone that's alive in Christ. And so let's just talk about what it means to be dead in sin. Maybe the most boring sermon you've ever heard because it literally is taken directly from Scripture. I have zero to add, alright? So, so here we go, what it means to be dead in sin. Number one, it's found in verse two. It means that we are under the rule of the devil. Right? Under the rule of, of the devil. That's, that's what it says there in, in verse two, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of, of the air. So we're under the rule of the devil. What does that mean? Well, you know what it means, right? Because, because if you're a believer in Jesus, you should be under the rule of Jesus, right? It means that somebody is your king, that somebody is your boss, that somebody is in charge of you. And the Bible is very clear in this, that we were all working for the devil at one point. The devil was in charge of us at one point. 
That, that he was our boss. You, you were his associate. You were working for his kingdom, living for his cause. That's, that's just the truth of scripture, right? So, so we were all under the rule of the devil. But not only that, as that, he goes on, he says, as such, you were controlled by your flesh. It's verse 3. You're controlled by, by your flesh. Now, there's, there's phraseology there in verse 3. You say, well, what does that look like? What does that mean to be controlled by your, your flesh? Uh, the, the wording uh, there has to do with cravings, sinful cravings. My wife hates this illustration, but I use it all the time because I love it. And she's not here today because she also is sick. So here we go. Uh, sinful cravings. Uh, I read an article once about how an Eskimo kills a wolf. I mean, some of you have been around long enough, you've heard this. Uh, but the way an Eskimo kills a wolf is he sharpens his knife, gets it like deadly sharp, and then he dips that knife in blood, sticks it outside so it freezes, dips it in blood, freezes it, dips it in blood, freezes it, dips it in blood. It becomes a blood popsicle. And then he, he secures it uh, between two rocks or something where, where it's sticking, uh, knife side out, and wolves uh, begin to smell that blood. And so they, they, they crave blood so bad that they run to that knife and they begin to lick it. And as they lick it, their tongue, of course, gets cold. But the more uh, that they lick that, that frozen blood popsicle, the more they taste blood and they just go nuts. And so they start craving blood and they lick it and lick it and lick it and lick it. And pretty sure, uh, eventually, they're literally licking the razor-sharp knife. It's cutting and lacerating their tongue. And they're, they're drinking their own blood and they bleed out. They bleed out. It's gross, right? Angela's like, it's gross. Just had a baby. Let's not talk about this, right? It's a good thing you had the baby and you're not still like, you know what I'm saying, right? It's gross. Gross. If you think that's gross, wait till the final point. Ah, it's gross. That's exactly what the Bible says we're like. Without Jesus, that's what we do. We crave things and, and there's, no, there's no like, hey, hold on. Hey, wait. Hey, stop. You're controlled by those sinful cravings. That's what it means to live under the rule of the enemy. Okay? That's, that's what it means to be without Christ. Uh, three, he says, uh, to be dead in sin means that you're objects of wrath. Right? That you're objects of wrath. We talked about this last week. Uh, why Jesus had to die, that the Bible says that he was the propitiation for our sin. He said, what is propitiation? It's where Jesus on the cross took the wrath of God and he brought it to conclusion and to the end. And then he turned that wrath into favor for us. And, and I, I said last week, that's something we need desperately. And, and so I, I hope you're reading the Bible with us. I say this like at least twice a month. Um, we have a Bible reading plan. Okay, you're going to follow me off camera? I'm working towards it. The camera's following me. No, it's not. Okay, here we go. All right. She's like, ha ha. Aaron hates me right now. Okay, uh, see if I, I, I probably have one of these in my folder, Aaron. I didn't grab it. Um, Bible reading plan. Read the Bible with us. We started John last week, right? And in our Bible reading plan, we get to John chapter 3, and this is what we read. John chapter 3, 36. <coughs> the one who believes in the Son has eternal life. But the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. Remains on him. To be dead in sin is to be an object of the wrath of God, the anger of God. That's what it is. Okay? So that's, that's the third thing it is. What else does it mean to be dead in sin? There's more. I think I've got six identifiers here. It means that you're excluded from citizenship in heaven. Right? It's a harsh reality. It's truth. I'm, I'm going to love you enough to say it. Not everyone's going to heaven. 
Just not. There's a reason that we need to talk to people about Jesus, guys. Because not everyone's going to heaven. You know some people in your life, oh, but, but my uncle, he's just such a good guy. Or my aunt, or guess what? They don't have Jesus, they don't get in. That's the reality. Right? Because they're, they may be good, but they're not perfect. They're not holy. They're definitely not holy, holy, holy. That's the standard to get into heaven to be with God. Okay? So if they're dead in sin, they, 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 they're not a citizen of heaven. That's the truth, right? Uh, harsh reality. That, that also, they're not a citizen of heaven because of the next one. Because they're without Christ and they're without God. That's the entrance fee. You have to have Jesus. You have to accept it, what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. You have to have them in your life. Have them. Have a relationship with them. By the way, to be dead in sin, it's great. <clears throat> to be dead in sin, in that way, right? Uh, if you don't have Christ, you don't have God, think about some of the attributes of Jesus, some of the attributes of God. Love, Right? Love. Uh, life. Uh, what, goodness. Joy. J just th think of all those things. So that means you don't have any of that. That's what it means to be dead in sin. You don't have life. You don't have anything good. You don't have any ounce of love. There's nothing that would make you happy. We, we were trying to explain hell to people. I'd be like, it's the absence of all of that. That's what it means to be dead in sin. And, and, and that kind of brings to the last thing that he says in verse 12. He says that all of that means that you're without hope. You're without hope. That's what it means to be dead in sin. To have no hope, right? Because Ephesians 2.8 says clearly that you can only be saved by the grace of God in Jesus. There's no way it, that you can do it on your own. It says not by works so that anyone could boast. And so that means if, if you're without Christ... You're dead in sin and you have no hope of changing anything. If you reject Jesus, that's it. You're an object of wrath forever. Okay? That's the harsh reality. And so we kind of begin there with that truth that we uh, were, uh, slash are, depending on how you answer the second question, uh, dead in sin. But God. It's the point of the series. But God, right? But God makes us alive in Christ. But God makes us alive in Christ. Same thing. We should have questions. You read the text, what does that mean? What does it mean to be alive in Christ, right? What does it matter? Okay? So, so some things that it means to be alive in Christ. We're just walking through Ephesians 2. I've given you every verse reference I can. I actually left one out, which I'll point out my mistake. Because I, I don't mind that. Alright? So let's start here. It means that we're saved means that we're saved by the grace of God. To be alive in Christ is to be saved from the wrath of God. To be saved by the grace of God. Right? We talk about this a lot as Christians. Well, you know what? You need to be saved. That, what does it mean? It means to be saved from death. It means to be saved from hell. It means to be saved from the wrath of God. That's what salvation is. Okay? And it can only happen by the grace of God. Right? Being alive in Christ means not only that we're saved, but it means that we've been raised up with Christ. That we've been raised up with Christ. That's verse 6, right? 
It's verse 6. I've been raised up with Jesus. There's three R's I want you to think of when you hear the word raised up with Jesus. There's three R's, okay? Here's the first one. I want you to think about resurrection. If I've been raised up with Jesus, that means resurrection. I, I have life, eternal life. So that's the first R. Okay, when, when you hear that you've been raised up with Jesus, the second R I want you to think about is residence. <coughs> we are powering through. Um, residence. Where do I live? My home is now in heaven, right? So that's the second one when I've been raised up. So resurrection, I've got life. Uh, residence, I, I, I'm a citizen of heaven. Uh, and then rule. Rule. It says that you're going to be raised up with him and seated. You're going to be seated in the heavenly realms. You know who gets to sit down in heaven? People that reign. God created you for dominion. Don't believe me? Go back and read the Genesis account. He created mankind and said, you are to look over all that I've made. And the Bible says that when all things are restored, that our dominion, we get to reign with Jesus. That's crazy, right? Anybody else think, like, I am not the person for that job, right? I am, I am unqualified. Anybody else feel unqualified, right? That's, that's the beauty of, of Scripture, right? So we've been raised up. Um, the one I missed was verse 13, by the way, if you're following along in your text. We've been brought near. That's what it means to be raised up. We're now near. We're not far away from God. We're not excluded anymore. Now, now we're near. And the only way that can happen is through verse 14, that we have peace. We have peace with God. It says, He Himself is our peace who destroyed the dividing wall of hostility. So we have peace now because of what Jesus has done. First, we have peace with God first and foremost. You know who else we have peace with? Ourselves. Anybody ever feel like you're at war with yourself on a constant basis, right? Not if I'm alive in Christ. The war's ended. Jesus has won, right? So I, I'm not at war with myself anymore. I'm not condemned anymore. I don't condemn myself anymore. He doesn't condemn me, right? That's over. Victory has been won. And it also means I can have peace with other people. Anybody else have a job that involves people? Can I fill you in? All jobs involve people, right? Like, let's start being a parent, that's a job, and it involves little sinful people that look like you, and you are constantly reminded of what God must feel like, right? It's what life is all about. Everything we do, every business we're in is a people business. People are difficult, but because of Jesus, we can have peace, okay? Uh, what does it mean to be alive in Christ? It means uh, also that we have been reconciled to God. Right? Verse 16, we're just walking through Ephesians 2, that I've been reconciled to God. So this is beyond peace, right? So peace is like ceasefire. Okay, let's not fight anymore. That's peace, okay? Like, like you and, 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 and drunk Uncle Gary, okay? Like, we're just not going to talk about politics at Thanksgiving, right? You've created peace. That's it. That's all you've got is, please do not say who you voted for. Let's not talk, like, like so you, you've created a peace treaty. That's all you've done. Okay? Reconciliation, though, is different. Reconciliation moves beyond peace to now Uncle Gary's my favorite uncle again, and I'm his favorite nephew. Right? That it, it, it's a difference. It, 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 it takes us beyond just peace to restoring something back to the way that it was, to a former state of harmony. 
That's what reconciliation is. That's what Jesus has done for us on the cross. If we're alive in Christ, we have been reconciled to that state of what you read in Genesis in the Garden of Eden. Where God walks with us amongst the day, asking about, how was your day, son? What was it like? That restoration of relationship is what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Which means this, uh, verse 18, that we have access to the Father. Right? We now have access to the Father. Right? If I'm alive in Christ, I don't need an intermediary. Amen? If I'm alive in Christ, I don't have to go to a priest and ask the priest to speak to God on my behalf. I don't need somebody to take the Bible and just have to explain it to me. I have access to the Father and I can say, Father, help me understand what you mean here. Father, I'm struggling. I get to crawl up into the lap of God, who's my loving Father and wants to do good to me, and I get to, I get to share my heart and my burden, and I get to leave it there. It's awesome, right? We have access now. He goes on, he says, we're citizens of heaven. <clears throat> citizens, right? If I'm alive in Christ, I'm a citizen. You know the citizenship process in America is rough, right? I mean, it takes a lot of money to become a citizen in America, but you also have to know all of this stuff. You've got to pass a test. Do you know what the test is in heaven for citizenship? It's one question. What have you done with my son? That's it. Have you believed him? Have you received him? That's it. What, what have you done with my son? That's all God's going to ask. That's it. One question. That's a great test, amen? That's one you can study for right now, right? Like, it's not like, oh my gosh, one day. If you ever meet, meet people without Christ, they are freaked out about the final exam. I don't, I don't know if I've been good enough. I don't know if I've done enough things. I don't, I don't know. I've been a pretty bad person. Has my good outweighed my bad? They are so freaked out about the final exam. And we have the answer. We just get to go, hey, I, I stole the test. Like, I got it. Here's the final exam. Ready? Here's what God's going to ask. What did you do with his son, Jesus? That's the only question on the test. Man, what are we doing? What are we doing? We, we, I promise you, I say that right now. You know tons of people in your life that are freaked out about whether or not they're good enough. They don't know if they're going to heaven. You have the answer for the test. We've got to share that, man. Hmm. Not only are we citizens of heaven, he goes on, verse 19, he says, even better than that, if we're alive in Christ, we're members of God's household. We're members of his household. The Bible would use this language, it's pretty cool, it says that we've been adopted as sons. Now, biblically speaking, some of you, uh, of course, are not men. Um, you are women. We declare that as a church by what parts the Lord has given you, by the way. There's no, like, a, no, not man, I feel like a woman, don't care. Uh, what do you have? Uh, anyway, so just saying, that's, that's biblically speaking, that's kind of how that works, okay? And, and so, so here's the deal, though. In, in biblical times, if you were a woman, you didn't get inheritance. So the Bible says that God has adopted us all as sons. It doesn't change your genetics. 
he says to all men, to all women, you, you are a member of my house. I'm adopting you and you've got full rights. You get to inherit my kingdom. Right? It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. So we're members of God's household. Uh, we're part, verse 21, of God's temple. Right? Verse 21, we're part of, of God's uh, temple. <clears throat> I've moved my, my verse here. It says, in him the whole building is being put together, growing into a holy temple in the Lord. Christ our head. Uh, we're a temple. What is a temple? Well, that's historically uh, where, where God told David, you can't build a house for me, I'm going to build a house for you. Uh, but, but, but God, his presence with his children was always in, he tabernacled with them. God would come and dwell with them. That's what the temple symbolized. It was the place where God dwelled, the place that you could always find God. And we're part of that. Think about that for a second. To a watching world, right? Because the world would always look at Israel, they're about to go into battle, like here comes the ark, or you know, they, they, you, you could see, other nations could see when they were tabernacle and God would be with them. I think people sat on the outside like, I ain't going in there. I ain't messing with that, right? And, and we are that. To a watching world, we are part of the temple of God. This is a place that you can come and God dwells here. Right? You can find Him here in me, in you. Which is the last part. Is He says, uh, the Spirit of God dwells in us. Verse 22. The Spirit of God dwells in us. Verse 22. In Him, you're also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. Jesus said, I've got to go away. It's going to be better for you. What could be better for me than Jesus with me? Jesus in me. Jesus in me, the hope of glory. Right? The mystery of the gospel. So, what do we do um, with Ephesians 2? That we were all dead in our sin, uh, but God makes us alive. Uh, but God makes us alive in Christ. First and foremost, we have to believe in Jesus. Right? We have to believe in Jesus. Uh, being alive only comes in Christ. It's the only way to be alive. In Christ. No life on your own. Okay, can't do it. I, I read you John 3.36. If, if, you, if you don't believe in the one and only Son, then the wrath of God is upon you. No life, right? Punishment, like it's not awesome. But life is offered to all who believe. To all who believe. And so the first thing I would encourage you, please believe in and Jesus. The second thing I would challenge you with is this. Then if you believe in Jesus, make sure you live. Right? You have to believe in the Lord, but once you do, you've got to live. Go back, and, and I, I've literally just given you everything it means to be alive in Christ. And so I challenge you with all those things. Are you living like, like you can? You've got access to the Father, right? You've been raised up. You've got reign. You've got dominion. You're a temple. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Go through all the things that God has done for you and ask, like, am I living that or am I settling for less than that? Jesus did not conquer death so that you could just hang around and just be like, well, one day I'll experience heaven and the goodness of God. He wants it now in you. He wants to give you abundant life now, the Bible says. So live that abundance, man. Pray, seek the Lord, worship Him. All the things that we have listed, all of the things that it means to be alive in Christ. 
saved, raised, peace, reconciliation, access, citizenship, members, part of the temple, God dwelling in you, do it. Kind of brings me to the last point. Don't turn back. Don't turn back. You guys remember the story of Lot's wife, right? As God is going to destroy uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, right? We're tracking, yes? Is that right? You guys track? Again, I was on Dayquil like all day. So if I've got this wrong, you'd be like, Pastor Jason, you were high. Okay? Abraham's like, no, Lord, if, if there's any faithful, right? Like, like, okay, so it gets Lot, gets the family, they're running, says, don't look back. And what does Lot's wife do? She looks back, she turns into a pillar of salt, right? Okay. So here is the deal. This is the grosser part than what I shared earlier, Angela. Um, so I was thinking about this. There is a term for people that romanticize dead things. It's a, it's a real thing. It's disgusting, but it's real. Uh, it's called necrophilia. And there are people that develop romantic feelings for dead people. They break into morgues. They dig up bodies in cemeteries. It is it, it, because they romanticize things that are dead. And they, they long to show their affections for dead things. Okay? We're all on the same page. That's gross, right? It's about as bad as it gets. Okay? Not, not good. Here's what I'm going to submit to you. Many of us, and we say that's disgusting. Right? We'll go, that's disgusting. But we do the same thing spiritually speaking. We romanticize all the dead things. We romanticize what it was like to be dead in sin. We romanticize all the sinful cravings we used to have. We long for them. That's looking back. And it's, here's what has to happen. Our mindset has to change, y'all. We have to start, like I, I dropped that analogy with you on purpose because I wanted it to be gross. And I want you to think of sin that way. Your old life in Christ, to look back and romanticize and want to coddle that is gross. It's just like curling up to a dead body. It's what it is. There's, like, spiritually, there's not a difference. To romanticize sinful, pre-Christ ways is the same thing. It is spiritual necrophilia. And it's gross. And until we are convicted at how disgusting it is, I do not believe we will experience the freedom that Jesus has for us. I do not believe we will experience the but God raised us from the dead. Okay? So that goes out to two folks. Two types of people. One, if you don't have Jesus, today I would encourage you just to believe in him. It's not a complicated prayer. Jesus, I've heard about you. I know about you. My life is a wreck. Please come take control. I believe that you want to you want to be in control of my life? Just forgive me of my sins. Um, just, just take control. God will honor that prayer. Okay, he'll honor that prayer for you today. If you say, God, save me, 
by your son Jesus. He will do that. I've seen it firsthand time and time again. That's the first thing. Second thing, if you're a believer and you're romancing that dead stuff, today we say enough is enough. That's disgusting. All right? Do you guys pray with me? Father, for every person here that needs you, I pray that you bring them to life. And for every person that you've brought to life that is playing around with dead things, I pray that you would convict them. And today they would say, that's disgusting. I don't ever want to go back. Give them the strength to live that out when they fail. Give them the grace and love that they need to return. We ask that in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.